Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack. It has been a while. We appreciate you checking us out. We appreciate anyone who checked out our last upload, the Oh Shit Moments. That was uh, a fun little side quest that we did where we were trying to make a YouTube video, but it turned into just an episode because we wanted to get that audio out there. We wanted to get that content out there. And it was it was just a fun thing that Beppo and I did. And joining me this week is... Alex, Alex, welcome back. Well, hello, hello. It's been quite a while. It has been a turn or two or three in this case. <laughs> yes, uh, I am caught up in the perpetual loop. I was talking with uh, my significant other, and I referred to, oh yeah, we got that during the Super Bowl when things began, of the of everything delayed forever. She had reminded me that was actually 19 months ago, not March of this year. <laughs> Yeah, everything delayed forever has been a while, and it's made everything seem so much longer. We appreciate anyone coming back. We took a, a three-year hiatus because I had a mostly newborn baby. Uh, she was about six months at the point we stopped recording, and I had just started school. But I am now almost done with school. I have literal, I have literal days left, and I have another newborn. And so I figured, why not add something to my plate that's going to be vacated by the school thing? So we're trying to bring this thing back. Exactly. It's, it's spinning plates. If you remove one, you got to immediately put another one up there. Otherwise, what, where's the fun <laughs> in life? Exactly. Exactly. So this is going to be a quick episode. Uh, one thing I want to do with this rebirth of Talking Smack is I want to condense the episodes, maybe have like two, maybe three big news stories and then we just get into the meat of the episode so the first thing we want to talk about is the tragedy of, of helena hutchins uh there's not much to touch on because there there needs to be an investigation but my question around this whole thing is why on grod grods yeah well we'll stick with grods he's a big gorilla uh why on grods green earth is there still weapons or like decommissioned weapons that hollywood is using why aren't they just using completely fabricated 3d printed weapons that they can just add in special effects post facto and or anything like that like i'm not a hollywood person so i don't understand the logistics of it but it just feels like such a weird thing that we're using something with it, it wasn't live ammunition when the when the stories say they're using live ammunition that just means it is loaded with what they believe to be the prop product Part of the issue that I think is going on is there seems to be a case of this is an independent production, so it wasn't actually fully sanctioned through a movie studio, and they weren't they weren't using union members, so they seem to be sourcing locally, and the person may have been very inexperienced. At least that's what some of the new reportings coming out from like Variety and the other sources. Even so, you'd think they would have followed some basic safety of not having actual manufactured weapons on set anymore in this day and age um i do know uh, i believe the producers of um, the nathan fillion show the rookie have already said that because of this they're switching to just all airsoft weaponry that they will then fix with some cgi flashes and like a little bit of cgi to make them look more cop accurate or whatever which again sticks to my point of why hasn't this been the case for 10, 15, 20 years? I, I always assumed that they were all prop weapons. I, I didn't think that they would actually fire projectiles from them. Uh, I do know in like some of the war movies and stuff like that, when you often see, because they always, in war movies, you always see the like the glowing 
you know, the all bullets glow. Those are tracer rounds being fired, but they always seem to be fired from like helicopters or fired when they're being fired away from the camera. And it's because it's a war movie. I don't know why they would be doing that for a TV, uh, you know, a TV show or this movie is a Western. I mean, it's, it's just really horrible. And I feel obviously feel for her family, but it's got to be horrifying to have been on that set when that happened. I'm not going to get into some of the things that are coming out on social media. If you want to look that up, I don't, it's a movie. Alec Baldwin shouldn't be held responsible in my opinion for this, unless it, the investigation shows that he swapped it out the prestige style or something like that, where he, he intentionally meant to harm someone. Uh, I, I don't think any of the grief coming at him right now should, is warranted because right now, again, unless something hinky happens with the investigation, the, the whole thing just, it, it's such a, a horrible situation, and I, again, I, I can't believe that uh, in 2021, a, a Hollywood movie or even some kind of independent movie is using a legitimate weapon that can fire projectiles. It's just strange to me. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be probably months before it all shakes out, and you know, wherever the blame will lie, will lie. But I was just shocked that it happened, and it's a terrible instance. And ho- and hopefully that does what happened with Castle. I mean, not Castle. You know, the rookie saying that they're switching to all airsofts and it's all like CGI muzzle flashes and enhancements is just the way forward. So nothing horrible like that ever happens again, even if it is an independent production, which is what I see some of the blame being said now because some of the um, the union the unions in that area because it is a f- a big area to film in. I think it's some of the production crews around that area have done like um. Breaking Bad and are doing like Better Call Saul because of that part of Arizona where they're filming in the New Mexico area. They're basically saying that like, you know, if we were there, this wouldn't happen, which I think is a a horrible, just knee jerk response to immediately try to say that when they don't know what's happened fully yet. It's it's just weird. And it it makes no sense that they would come out and start saying that if you had used us, you this wouldn't have happened. Like, okay, we get it. But I don't know. It's a. It's a mess, and it's it's a tra- it is definitely a tragedy. I just wanted to touch on it real quick because uh, to me the the main thing that is just so weird to me in this whole situation is again that they're using something that can literally fire a projectile at a a terminal velocity to for to use the word wrong. So uh, another using the term wrong transitions. Uh, I'm a little rusty in the transition, so forgive me. We'll we'll get better at transitioning. There's this. Rumor circulating that World War Hulk is being produced, but the person who broke the story said they got out of a screening of World War Hulk. Screening? Yeah, they got out of a screening, and then they also said that production will start later next year, in 2022. They got out of a screening, but production starts in a little over a year. So which is it? And not to mention any of these... Uh, stories that are jumping off of this Twitter post, they none of them talk about Universal and how they own the movie distribution rights and how they haven't been playing with Disney since they purchased Marvel. For anyone who doesn't know, Universal owns the movie distribution rights for any Hulk solo movie, which is why Marvel has been doing little um, like vignettes with the Hulk and like side stories. So uh, he had uh, a co-starring role, and they basically did Planet Hulk in thor ragnarok uh then he had the whole 
will they won't they with the hulk in avengers infinity war and then we got smart hulk in avengers endgame which was kind of like its own little mini trilogy through the marvel universe which would have played out in solo movies as well but because universal wasn't playing with marvel slash disney it turned into this sort of hulk becomes a side character with his own subplot and in subsequent movies could it happen yes obviously anything is possible especially when you you know that this disney spider-man sony thing is going on and oops sorry touched my keyboard made clack uh <laughs> and if sony and disney can play well together and universal is just sitting on this pile of money that could be made with a solo hulk movie why wouldn't they if they got to a point where they were making a screening or a, some kind of reel ready for screening of a, a world war hulk movie don't you think some kind of story would have broken that marvel and universal were playing nice again you would think but then i i question what, what the heck is this screening what is it a bunch of storyboards that somebody like scan and the world war hulk run and then do a digital run and say like, we could make this kevin feige's sitting up there he knows what world war hulk is he doesn't need to convince anyone to do a screening of it he I, unless it's some, some directors pitching to him what they would do with it but again why are they doing a quote-unquote screening yeah. so what what is this that is happening and that's not even to get into the whole idea that whoever this poster is that says they got out of this screening they would have had to have signed a non-disclosure agreement and they immediately broke that and and you know disney's going to come after them with everything they have and that person probably doesn't have much probably so so it's it's it just reeks of someone looking for attention and trying to get some kind of base for some clickbait bullshit yeah they're gonna if for some reason three years down the line marvel does suddenly announce they're like we broke it in 2020 yeah we just we got the the production dates wrong Mm -hmm. yeah what no i don't care it's fake. <laughs> All right. So uh, the two big things that happened this week, we had Dune release and we had two pretty big fanfare, I would say, the Uncharted trailer. So we're going to start with the Uncharted trailer. I don't really have a lot to say about it because I've played the first game. I really enjoy it. I think the the characterization is really fun. Where the game gets boring, for lack of a better word for me, is that I feel like the enemies need to be tougher, but they need to be fewer as well. The game really kind of just overwhelms you with enemies, but they're all supposed to just be on this one boat. How are there like 800, 900, 1000 people on this one boat when you get to the island portion of the game? And then uh, it looks like it's kind of amalgamating a bunch of the Uncharted stuff because the end of the trailer, we see the, I believe it's, uncharted 3 has the cover where nathan's hanging out of the back of the plane on the cargo stuff that's like any like leapfrogs into it admittedly as a bad gamer i have not played uncharted 2 3 or 4 or any spin-offs because i get so bored at the start of uncharted 2 where you have to start with stealth missions and i am terrible at stealth missions my knowledge of uncharted comes from the 1 through 3 remaster for the ps4 they released and then i think I think they released four at one point for the PlayStation Plus collection. So I played them all in about three weeks in all one go. You didn't get burned out on that? Oh, I did. The fourth one was a struggle. <laughs> the, the The problem is because it, it's a Naughty Dog game, which means incremental improvements to gameplay and UI, and that's about it. The story is always good. 
But the gameplay was just like, oh yeah, same buttons. Oh, cool, I climb a little bit faster now. Oh, look, there's a little bit more dirt on his boots. Oh, I'm chasing another MacGuffin. I, I remember enjoying it, and I remember a few set pieces, but then towards the end of the fourth game, there was just, as you said, a section where people just keep spawning and spawning, and I just kept dying, and I was just like, I'm just going to watch the cinematics to figure out how this ends while reading the wiki write-up. I never finished four, but I was watching the trailer, and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I remember the, the the ring. I thought Sully was older. Oh yeah, I think that was from the first game? That sounds like from the second. Oh yeah, that room. Oh yeah, the airplane thing. Oh yeah, okay, it looks fine. I do need to plug this just because we're talking about it, and, uh, and uh, Ben from Canada, uh, who you should follow on Twitter and on YouTube, uh, he has a great video about Uncharted 4 and like the point and purpose and what makes the game great on Mr. Sunday Movies' YouTube channel. So it's kind of a weird double plug. The video is really interesting. I, again, I haven't played Uncharted 4 yet. I plan on getting to it, and that's one of the things that, uh, with all this free time that I'm getting once now that I'm done with school, is I do want to get into some video game streaming and uh, doing some co-op stuff with some of our Talking Smack Teamsters and just trying to have fun with the podcast thing and creating content while also creating an excuse to play with my friends. So the 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 actual trailer with Uncharted, it just it feels just a little bit off. And I was talking with my buddy Marcos about it. And if this had been called any other movie, if it was Tom Holland and his crazy wacky adventure to the tropics, this movie would probably be like, oh, this looks so much fun. But because it says it's Uncharted, it just feels a little off. It feels like at least Tom Holland's just doing a cosplay and it, like Marky Mark ju- or Marky Mark, geez, uh, Mark <laughs> Wahlberg showed up. Showing our and, age here. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Mark Wahlberg just kind of showed up and was like, oh, what are, you, what are we doing? Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll be here. I'll do I'll do something. The part the bo- that bothers me about it is that again, showing our age. Do you remember the Matthew McConaughey movie Sahara from like twelve years ago? Yes, it was a very poorly adapted uh, adventure in response to the National Treasure. Right. It, it's it's the Clive Clusler series. Um, he did. He's been writing this character Dirk. Dick, not Dirk something or other, and basically he he's they had raised the Titanic and a bunch of stuff, and he always finds himself in these exotic locations doing this kind of stuff. Watching the Uncharted trailer reminded me of Sahara combined with the new Tomb Raider, where it's like generic adventure that I'm supposed to be excited for with little moments from the game. His name is Dirk Pitt. Dirk, by the Pitt. way. Okay, I knew it was something weird like that. <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing that movie because a friend of mine had convinced us that the books were so good that the movie had to be good, too. And we walked out of there looking at him, and he just apologized profusely. That's not what the book was like. No, actually, watching the movie, I was like, you know, this isn't that good, but it's not bad. What is the actual book like? Because the author got really angry and sued them. And oh, so wow. Like, okay, what's the book like? So I read the book, and then I read, like, Raise the Titanic and, like, five or six of his other books. And they're basically video game things. You, the main character is going to be amazing and solve all the issues and fight off 3,000 bad guys. And whatever happens, happens. But that's how I felt watching the trailer. I'm like, this doesn't evoke enough emotion for me to go, oh, wow, this is something new. Like, I understand that the end part where they're falling out of the airplane is from the third the third game. It's like a quick-time cutscene. Watching that, I could only... Th- I felt like they were on a soundstage 
And I all I could think of was if Wahlberg was replaced with Tom Cruise, they would literally be out the back of an airplane filming this, and I would actually be excited. <laughs> <laughs> Because it just felt it felt so safe, and then the breaking of physics by you're in a plane that's flying, but somehow you get enough momentum to be leaping up this thing. And there was no really wow that made me feel danger or excitement. I just felt like, okay, this is going to be an interesting little little diversion. Probably going to make enough money to warrant a sequel, and okay. And it'll gain the moniker of the most successful or best adapted video game movie ever. Yeah, and okay good job take that from resident evil that comes out next month way to make that low bar a little bit higher (laughs) congrats your imdb score is 6.6 you win the game (laughs) (laughs) i think the only thing i really want out of that movie is something good for nolan north whether it's him showing up as sam drake or whatever nathan's real name is or he just or he shows up as the villain. I don't. I don't really know or care what it is. I just want Nolan North to get a little bit of screen time in there, not just a cameo. It would be nice for them to acknowledge it. And the funny thing is, I think he's probably now the age he could probably pull off Sully. That's true, and he's a voice actor, so he's got some range. Hopefully, everyone hates us after that Uncharted reaction uh, or thoughts. It's not really a reaction for me. There wasn't a whole lot to react to. It's like, oh, that's. That's something. No, let's really make them hate us. Let's uh, let's talk about my feelings of the Cowboy Bebop teaser they released last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't have that on the agenda, so we'll we'll have to bump that maybe to uh, next week. I'm ah, sorry. Darn. Okay. Trying to keep it a little short here, or if you want to script it out, maybe we can try and turn it into a YouTube video. <laughs> nice. So from one desert to another, Dune. Ooh, that was a smooth transition. I just thought of it after I took my drink of water, so I'm going to leave that one in. It's going to be a fun edit on that one. Uh, Spoilers, we're just going to dive right into talking about Dune. and uh, Because this is a a dense movie and lore that this movie does not care to kind of spoon feed you. It's kind of like the first episode of Game of Thrones where they just go right into, these are your players, this is the story, we're going. So I, I have... I had no prior knowledge to this property at all going into this movie. And uh, so if you want to give us a little bit of a, a backstory or a history to Dune, I'll let you take the reins here for a moment. Oh, this is just terrible. My experiences with Dune is reading the... Let me see, it goes... Dune, something else, and I think the third one is God Emperor. I remember reading it as a teenager because my friend was obsessed with Lord of the Rings and Dune. He said, you have to read these books. And I went okay and i read like the first three chapters of lord of the rings and i chucked it and i eventually went back and to read it to then focus on dune and all i remember is how dense it is and not understanding anything (laughs) all i knew was it was a great story so dune is basically the story of a bunch of this far flung into the future where like basically ai technology is banned but they have the ability to space travel and it's still a very um, nobility-driven society, and they really don't like the Atreides family. Uh, Atrakis? I forget how they pronounce it. Atreides. Yeah, Atreides. The problem is the way they keep pronouncing the movies, I kept thinking they were pronouncing tra- traitors. Like, this is a group of a traitors, and that bothered me because everybody was whisper-talking it. <laughs> This is going to date me as well. Our buddies at No on 15 on the No on 15 all cast, uh, they're going to 
they're gonna love this shout out um the way they were yelling it it reminded me of the movie robot jocks when they're all yelling achilles 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 okay now i can't unremember that thank you (laughs) the first book is basically the story of the emperor wants the family gone and what better way than to send them to the spice planet dune and tell them hey listen you deal with this take it over and basically just sets them up but there's way more than that because there's like six other families involved with it there's like there's six other families involved with it that ben and are involved with it basically everybody wants um leto and his family wiped out because he's a nice person that's what it comes down to he's a nice person he needs to go because too many people like him too many people like his family and so they set up to wipe him out. But by doing so, they unintentionally begin fulfilling the prophecy of the Bene Gesserit. But the Bene Gesserit are also mad because that prophecy is not supposed to be fulfilled for one more generation of children. That's roughly the story of Dune. <laughs> Backtracking just a quick m- moment here, because uh, in the movie, at least, the the planet that they're referring to as Dune uh, is called Arrakis, I believe. I think so. So is it just kind of like a, a like a a local name where the the inhabitants call it Arrakis, but everyone else in the empire calls it Dune? Or because there's only like one quick moment of where uh, Stellan Skarsgård does his weird hover thing, where like it's weirdly obscured. So I, was, I thought like maybe he had weird robot legs that just made him super tall, and uh, he's like my Dune, and uh, I was like. Oh, okay. Roll credits, right. I guess. Yes, the planet is called Arrakis, and Oscar Isaac's family is called House Atreides. So that's what everybody calls it. It is Arrakis. I just call it Dune because I haven't read the books in forever. And I I think five years ago, I rewatched the David Lynch movie. And then two years ago, I rewatched the sci-fi terrible miniseries. But I'm not super involved with it, and I haven't read all the additional there's like nine trilogies now that they've released since um he's passed away <laughs> and stopped writing them that his son his son and i forget who they continue to write dune books so the thing about the floating thing is actually he's not technically floating what it is is that he's so large now is that he actually wears these like mechanical suspender things to lift his blubber so that he can actually have mobility but they do provide a little bit of light propulsion okay <laughs> it was pretty hard to kind of understand where the story was taking place and what the exposition was because they were pretty well woven together in this movie. I honestly was kind of bored because it did feel a lot like a pilot episode more than it did a movie because it it definitely left off on a sequel bait. This is going to sound really weird, but I think it fits. Watching this movie reminded me of two things in particular. One, it chapter one. Because it felt like this is building to something and they're not going to explain a whole lot. They're just going to go. They're going to take dialogue from it. They're going to take jump scares from it. They're just going to go. But then it also reminded me of Zack Snyder's Watchmen in that they didn't want to explain anything. They didn't want to explain who the heroes were, really why the heroes were happening, who they were supposed to be, these um, mythological fig- fig- figures that were represented by you know different DC comics. They were just like, this is a world and go. But it also reminded me of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I can definitely see that. The The ending especially was very Lord of the Rings. That That's where kind of I feel like it was kind of sequel baiting. But at the same time, 
it it does feel like a, a complete story as far as uh, being separated from it by about 12 hours or so now i i can definitely see where the story was going um after i i got, I got done watching it I, initially i was like oh this is the the game of the lord of the star wars because you've got the hero who's the one and he's got a woman sidekick who in this scenario is his mother and there's a prophecy hanging over them and the, the there's there's just all sorts of things so let's let's kind of break it down a little bit you kind of touch on this in the breakdown of the the dune story so we're we're immediately introduced with a uh, voiceover from zendaya's character i forget her name uh cena no not cena um they said it and they, they pronounced it in, su- in such a different way than i expected chani c-h-a-n-i yeah uh let's just pull up the imdb and have that ready to go here like i said this this reminded me a lot of game of thrones because they just threw names out and there's a huge cast of people and they don't they don't care that you pick it up the only name that stands out is duncan idaho because what the heck kind of name is that i think they pronounce it like chennai but i think it is chani chennai sounds right that's that's ringing a bell now we get this voiceover from zendaya's character chennai chani and she's explaining to us who the the harkonnen family is and what they're doing to her planet they're they're mining for spice which spice helps with intergalactic space travel like faster than light travel or something the harkonnens haven't been able to pacify the uh iraqians uh the fremen that's what they're called and the people with the blue eyes so the 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 faceless emperor has asked the harkonnen family to vacate arrakis and they're bringing in uh oscar isaac's family the um the atreides family and so he and his son, played by Timothy Chalamet, uh, Paul, they discuss what th- their process is going to be for trying to succeed where the Harkonnens failed. And he says, I'm going to be nice to them, essentially, and we're going to form an alliance and we're going to work together and we're going to honor each other. And that basically, as you said in, in your breakdown of the Dune franchise, or at least the first Dune story, is kind of where the Emperor was afraid of what the atreides house could do because they are for lack of a better word benevolent people love them and they they treat people fairly there's also they kind of throw away one section with duncan idaho where um the the emperor's uh guards arrive this like three legions or however many legions they said there were where he talks about how oh yeah um house atreides also has legions of soldiers that are just as good i mean that's also true but so much of it i feel like especially the beginning portion is show don't tell which i actually appreciated because like all that beautiful artwork and stuff in the background with the unreadable language which in most product movie productions would have been in english but then they have those little floating orbs they don't explain why the accountant who um at one point he's like the emperor sent these people all this way for this um for this formality how much was the cost and the accountant's eyes roll up into the top of his head and he does this calculation and the eyes come back that was lovely there that was really cool that uh where he j- and then they have like a, a way to assess people's vitals in, uh by basically like doing acupuncture but with fingers where they're just kind of like tapping certain points on the head they can just kind of tell what how they're doing they're like oh his heart's strong he's great yeah he'll be fine um they don't really explain what the bene Gesserit do or their, all their powers until kind of like a little bit later in where you see um jessica actually show off some powers other than just the voice which the voice they did wonderfully 
Yeah, that was really interesting because uh, the first time we see it introduced is Paul and Timothy Chalamet's character and Rebecca Ferguson's character, his mother. Uh, they're having breakfast and he's like, may I have some water? And she says, use the voice. And the voice is the, apparently this mystical thing that subdues free will and essentially forces someone to do what you ask them to do within the voice or tell them to do not even ask because you're summoning some kind of like guttural demonic uh it's kind of like the brown noise in south park where (laughs) it just triggers something and these people just completely lose their sense of free will and do whatever is told of them the bene Gesserit are yet very interesting later on in the story once you actually um once they actually start telling what their full motivations are because they are throughout like all the books because this one they, they briefly touch on it i forget the main benedress so it's uh her name but she and jessica are briefly talking and she's like and she even says which i think is just great they don't explain it they just state it you were told to have a daughter and you chose to have a son and that is so important to the story. But they just say it instead of explaining like, oh, well, you know, as, as a member of the Bene Jesuit, you can choose whether the sex of your child be prefer to have women. That was that was really interesting and kind of a, a really cool idea that my initial thought was, oh, that in the future they can choose this? Or is this like a sect thing where the, the Bene Gesserit can, has this ability, which clearly it's more the Bene Gesserit thing than it is any other kind of household or medical thing. It's part of their their ultimate plan, which they kind of stated like, "Oh, you were we were waiting for a different son, and you chose to bring him out." When I actually fully invested in the story, because at first I was like, "Okay, narration," and I really did like um, uh, Zendaya's line that when it cut when it cut away from what's happening on Arrakis, which was her line was, "Who will be our next oppressors?" And I was like, "That is a great way to just set up like this planet screwed." And then cut to House Atreides. You have this now in your head where the uh, Fremen are just whoever is here on the planet is gonna is here to oppress us and steal our spice, yeah. which is like a thinly veiled allegory for tobacco with Native Americans, where it's it's a sacred hallucinogenic herb for them, but for outsiders, uh, colonials, for lack of a better word, it's a way to make money. So you you have this transition where she says, who will be our next oppressors? And then you have this household where they're like, oh, we're going to be best buddies and we're going to work together. And you're like, there's there's something more at work here because that's not how this works. The movie was about what, two hours and 35, 37 minutes or something like that. But I like that they also took little moments to show everybody packing up the household. <laughs> After um, the great moment uh, where the head Bene Gesserit shows up and has... Uh, Paul experienced the pain of the box and passed her test that he is worthy to live and carry the Bene Gesserit powers that have been um, trained to him. There was just they were just packing up the house. I loved that. It's such a small moment with that beautiful music and all those and they're just they're showing that literally when a when a royal household moves, which is very medieval, that you would literally take your household stuff with you. And they're going from this beautiful water rolling hills planet to Arrakis. Uh, there's a lot of really cool, just like you said, show don't tell stuff that they they utilize. That's kind of what uh, the director Denny Villeneuve is known for. Is he he tells these big scope stories, but he focuses more on the story than he does 
having to explain anything because the narrative of the story you're trying to tell is the important thing. It's the backstory isn't as important as anything else because part of the immersion is these people that you're watching in the movie have to behave in a certain way for you to buy into it. And if they're constantly running around saying, Oh, that's my big sister. Oh, big sis, aren't you just, don't you know? And then, you know, oh, that's an electromagnetic pulse. If they use that, there's going to, every mechanical or uh, electronic device in a 10-mile radius is going to get blown up. We know what it is. Everyone knows what an EMP in this situation is. You don't need to say this. And you can tell us that someone is your big sister or your sibling or any your spouse without talking like you're an actor in a movie reading a script. And they do that beautifully in this movie. That actually reminds me of, so there's a few points in the, well, I'll let you catch up the story before I point out like where th- where I feel like they ripped off the Matrix twice. <laughs> we move a house, Atreides, to Arrakis, and they're kind of getting an assessment. I'm kind of jumping the gun here because I really liked the idea that Atreides was left a bunch of sabotaged machinery to mine the spice, but at the same time, the judge of something i can't remember again very dense lots of titles lots of names uh basically the person who's meant to serve as kind of a arbitrator between the the trade-off of control of the planet she's like sand isn't very kind to equipment maybe it's just worn out you you assuming sabotage but maybe it's not we we kind of know that it is with context after a while but at the same time you're kind of questioning are they really being sabotaged what's happening and then we get introduced to the Harkonnen family, played by Stellan Skarsgård doing his best bootstrap bill. That role just, all I could see was him being bootstrap bill, being stuck to the, the Flying Dutchman. And uh, he's just kind of doing his, letting water drool out of his mouth and talking in a deep voice. My significant other went, oh, Jeffrey Rush is in this. And I went, <laughs> I went, yes, no, wait. And then I listened to the voice. I'm like, no, that's Stellan Skarsgård. The voice kind of gave it away. Yeah, I, I could see where the confusion could definitely happen. So he and Dave Batista are upset that they got uh, kicked out of Arrakis. And apparently the Emperor is working behind the scenes anyway to set up this Ned Stark-esque assassination attempt where they're going to set him up, make him fail, and then they're just going to come in and take him out. And uh, we never get to really see the Atreides... The Atreides uh, Oscar Isaac's character, we never see him actually be like. Well, no, we saw him get betrayed. He got betrayed by the the family doctor, but the yeah. family doctor has his own plans as well. So there's there's some intrigue there. Like, what's happening? He's been betrayed, but he's also given a chance to kind of be redeemed. So it's it's interesting. The Paul stuff is obviously the main focus of the story, and it's all about setting him up to be the head of House Atreides and all that. He has powers, which is kind of, I guess, the powers of the One or the the Bene Gesserit. The powers that he's being bestowed upon, which they kind of alluded to with the whole, like, you chose to have a son, you, you chose too early or something like that, is basically the Bene Gesserit have been intermingling for millennia with the households. And as they intermingle to basically strengthen the bloodline, they do so by... And they only mention this like offhandedly once with Oscar, uh, Oscar Isaac saying like, I should have made you my wife. And then someone else saying, oh, kill the concubine. Because that's what she is. She's actually, he, he never took a wife. He took her as a concubine and loved her fully. Um, because why you can't, ha- because they allowed nobility to have 
concubines and you can recognize the children if you want. But what it is supposed to happen is you're supposed to actually have a wife. The reason for the wife is strong political ties and that and you, then you have like official children with her. That's what is supposed to happen. But the Bene Gesuit, by having concubines and, and, and choosing these marriages and choosing like, okay, listen, we need to strengthen our bloodlines. That's how they keep increasing their power and, the ben and like using the voice and their other skills that hopefully um, part two will show if they ever film that. But also they're trying to make blood so potent and strong that when, they, when the Bene Gesuit choose to have the male heir that this male will be able to see through time and be able to make give them even better decision-making. So right now they're just kind of playing this game where they're making their deals and they're choosing to keep their power but also kind of keep the emperor happy. But they want this male child when they choose to have a male child, when they choose the person who will do it, so that that person can see with their powers to make the decisions that strengthen them forever. The problem is Jessica had Paul on her own accord instead of having a woman and instead of having a woman like she was supposed to. So that is what his powers are. He's seeing possibilities, but he doesn't know he's seeing possibilities. Because like the beginning, he saw Duncan Idaho die, but he died in a different spot than eventually happens later in the movie. Yeah, there's a couple of things that still kind of leave questions because he he sees duncan idaho again in in a formation with the fremen i don't know if that's just supposed to have been a memory or if there's if they're gonna pull a, a he has a twin brother kind of thing and just just call me duncan it'll be fine no spoilers man <laughs> <laughs> thank you you're coming into this blind you need to wait the three to four years before before they finally make the movie <laughs> i i do hope that they uh they do make a sequel because the, i mean they already through at least Denny Villeneuve threw his chips in saying Dune Part One. So unless this becomes a history of the world part one kind of thing. That was oof. so bold. That was, and I'm looking at that going, ooh please let there be a part two. Yeah, I was hoping that it'd be kind of a an it thing because uh, at the end of the first it movie, it does say it part one. So you know that they're trying to get a sequel made and then they greenlit the sequel like the next week or something like that. So the giant sandworm, how did you feel about him? It. So the book that I had for my Dune book was like the cheesy mid-80s cover where it just kind of looked like this stupid worm and then like the person's like super small. So I was like, okay, I'm seeing things move. But when they finally did the reveal and they kind of made it be able to filter sand um, like krill from like um, a whale shark, it was that kind of like texture and movement of the mouth. I was, I was all for it. I thought they did well. But the problem that I had was that scene where they finally reveal it. With That scene, in my opinion, is they are doing it to only show two things. One, Leto is a good person. He doesn't care about the spice. He wants to save his people. And two, Spall, uh, Spall, Paul can start getting some of his spice sickness. It was I felt so weird with that scene because there didn't seem to be like urgency or need. Because like, oh, yeah... It'll come five minutes. It's coming from five minutes away. Oh, we have like four minutes before anything's really bad. Okay, well, the little, I think they called it a gatherall or whatever. It didn't work. Okay, well, let's go land and get them. I didn't feel energy or fear from that scene. I just was like, okay, cool. Get to the, the worm reveal. Yeah, that's cool. It was definitely building towards the reveal of the worm. You didn't necessarily feel any suspense for anyone surviving. 
they made it seem like getting off that giant rig was not going to be a big deal. Although the thing is like the size of a city, so you would think it would take more than five minutes to get people to a door and out. Yeah, it was it was it was just there, and then they saved Paul really easily. You know, I was more impressed by the second reveal at the end of the uh, towards the end. Um, after the inevitable betrayal happens and they wipe out the family and Paul and Jessica are on the run and they have to cross and they have to cross that desert and they're trying to do the uh, the Freeman walk but then they get to what did they say hard sand uh drum sand I drum believe? sand yeah they get to drum sand which I was like which okay, they never explained that in the movie either my 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 wife looked over at me she's like drum sand have we heard that before what is drum sand and i just looked at her like i have no clue (laughs) apparently it's a thing and now we have to run yeah i thought originally like he stepped on it and then he stepped again and it's that hollow sound i was like okay apparently there's the door there because he knows to head there because he said this is where duncan idaho was living but then they took off running i thought that reveal of that moment was actually much more dramatic and they should have had that same reverence and as with the first reveal as this one because it then you see the full body and it draws itself up and it begins to focus upon them and you can tell that it's it seems to be making a decision of like I know that's a rocky outcrop, but I want to kill whatever's on it. I'm really interested in the sequels since you're not spoiling anything for me, which again, thank you. When it it does kind of reach its full arc and it's just looking down at Paul and Rebecca Ferguson, Jessica, that's her character name it, it starts like making a thumping noise at them like it because the whole point of the sandworm is that it's drawn to rhythmic thumping which seems weird because people can walk without rhythm so but they they make this whole thing that the fremen have to do like these weird like side lunges and then they do a leg sweep but they do never do it in rhythm and it, like you could just take like two little pitter pat steps you can take a big step you do a little pitter pat and a big step then a big step and then a little pitter pat and you just break it up and like that's not rhythm and so i I just thought that was weird but i mean it's it's your universe it's your rules you you do what you got to do the thumping that it was making though when i was looking down at paul and jessica that seemed intentional like if it was any other movie they would have explained they would have done some kind of exposition of of the, the thumping the rhythmic uh whatever it was doing but in this they were just like it's looking down at paul and jessica and then you just hear buh, 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 buh. and then someone else distracts it and calls it away with the device called the thumper so that it'll go just eat nothing and a little tiny grain of rice for what the size of that thing is i really hope that comes back in any, any sequel that potentially does happen because i feel like that's it's alluding to something but obviously i don't know what yet yeah, I'm still not confident if like that thumping was supposed to be uh, was it Jameis set off his thumper, or that was supposed to be something else because that it was very rhythmic. But I swear it was like that seems very dark to begin with, just the cinematography. But I swear the 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 sound seemed to be rhythmically coming from the pulsing of like the of uh, the bristles or whatever. Like it seemed to be coming from within the creature. And then it got called away. I watched this on HBO Max, so we uh, because we have a newborn and everything, we're not going to the movie theater to risk really bad germ spreading. So we were watching it, and we watch it with captions because we have two other little ones that are noisy. So we want to be able to at least know what's being said if we're not catching all the dialogue. In that moment where it's it's looking down at them, it says "sandworm thumping." Oh, it does. Okay, or something to that effect. And then 
you hear the thump the thumper from further away and paul says it's a thumper okay. so there's there's like a little gap and that's when they they kind of have that separation so again i, I feel like the the sandworm is like trying to call out to paul or trying to communicate in some way it just seemed really weirdly intentional that it was sitting there trying to like talk to them it stuck out to me is all i'll say also just for that that moment and we saw it in the trailers and stuff but leading up to it and to the end of it i will say that's probably some of the best day for night shots that i've ever seen they clearly went out of their way to make sure they framed it to the point where you don't see shadows because that's one of my biggest problems with day for night shots is that you see all of these like long shadows and just bright backdrops where you're like the sun's right there why why are we doing this oh, that's a good point i didn't i didn't pick that pick up on that huh. bravo i can catch things <laughs> so to circle back since they were they were on the run after um the swift but inevitable betrayal of dave batista and stellan skarsgård to wipe out uh house atreides when uh, paul and jessica are on the run and they get into the ornithopter and Which, again, cool design. Amazing design. It looks like a dragonfly, and actually, that works because you wouldn't really want a whole lot of jet engine sucking in sand. So you have like these weird propel, uh, these weird fluttery propellers. Is an amazing design choice. But they get stuck in this sandstorm where um, later Batista says, you know, like, oh, 800 km- kilometer winds, they're for sure dead, and of course they survive it, but. I swear, beat for beat, that them rising out of the sandstorm to go into the beauty of the sky above the storm to coast for a minute or so when the equipment begins to malfunction and they begin to go down is literally the end of Matrix Revolutions where Trinity takes them above the storm and they see the sky. Yep, yep. I had a a similar thought, uh, but I I was kind of taken into the moment. After the fact, I was like, that is from the Matrix. But again, like having this is obviously written decades before the Matrix, so maybe this is something from the book that uh, they just translated into the movie, and everything's been done, so it's hard yeah. to be original. You just have to make it look good and make people forget about the other stuff. So uh, you said you had another Matrix comparison. Is it the one or is it something else? Um, so the other Matrix comparison is that so the beginning of the film is Lord of the Rings, basically, you know. Uh, Zendaya is narrating and of course Kate Blanchett was narrating there was another moment where I felt like I was watching the Matrix which is the brief um, fights the brief training scene between um, sudden Josh Brolin showing up and Paul of them basically just activating their suits and then this the casual just throwaway line of slow means pain or something like that because if you swing quickly, the shield activates, If you flash blue. But if you go slow, you go red, and you go through the shield, and you can kill people. That, to me, reminded me of the, of the Neo Matrix scene, where they're just kind of going at each other, and there's just very little explanation of the rules. It's just, this is, you know, we are in a construct. You know, do you think that's air you're breathing? Put on your suit. You have your shield up. Blue is good, red is bad. It, it reminded me of just the very the mate the first matrix movie had these amazing world building moments where it was just little throwaway lines and and little throwaway lines and constructs to give you the world and you didn't need any more information yeah it, it goes right back to the show don't tell 
it was the first time in years that I felt like I was seeing something new, something fresh, and then something where I can invest in this world without being heavy-handed and being battered down with world-building dialogue, world-building dialogue, world-building dialogue. Yeah, they, they don't take the time to really establish the rules. They just show you the rules. And that works really well because if you need to play loose and fast with those rules later, you're not bound to anything. Uh, speaking of Josh Brolin and the sudden appearance of him, there's a weird moment of dialogue where I don't know if it's supposed to show he's paranoid or if he's just that good at his job. I don't really get the dialogue because before the training session, apparently it was supposed to be Duncan Idaho played by Jason Momoa, who was supposed to be doing this training exercise with Paul. And then Josh Brolin shows up and he's saying that he's going to be doing the training because Duncan Idaho has got to go get ready to go to uh, Arrakis. And then Josh Brolin enters the room, though, before all this exposition. And he says, hey, don't turn your back to the door. And Paul says, I know it was you. And then Josh Brolin says, someone could be mimicking my stride. And I'm just sitting there thinking, is this dude paranoid or is this some kind of foreshadowing? I feel like that may be um, that may be just strict character interpretation from the books, because in order to tell the story, they had to cut out so much. But there are like always assassination attempts on this, and that's also part of the problem with House Aretes is that there are no other children; it's just Paul. Um, so I think that's him being just par- his character from the books being paranoid of you're the only child; we have to keep you alive. Don't be dumb. Which is why it's important that now Paul knows that he has uh, another sibling on the way. Because that means the line is continuing. So I think that's just that moment. Um, they also, I also feel like that's more of a characterization moment because he does it so many more times. Like um, when that person spits on the ground and he like gets ready to pull his weapons on him. Um, when that Freeman does. Uh, he's like, but they're like, that's a sign of honor. But then also when the uh, the judge of change arrives and she begins to walk up and he just pulls weapons on her. <laughs> uh, speaking of the the moment with the, the spitting, that was a really cool moment because, um, yeah, it, it makes sense that the, the Fremen would honor the moisture in their body. And by spitting, you're actually showing a sign of respect or at least uh, a sign of non-hostility, for lack of a better word in hostility i don't know but that moment i that was another thing i wanted to come up with is random javier bardem moment i have that literally <laughs> like how many freaking how many like triple a named stars are in this movie i literally have that in my in my notes it, it goes the sign language i don't really remember it from the books but it's done so well the sign language is something i wanted to talk about too that was really cool and then the next note literally is sudden javier bardem <laughs> It's it's kind of jarring because you don't quite recognize him because most of his head is concealed. You just see his face and it's got a goatee. And he doesn't have his really bad bowl cut from Old Country for for No Old Men. So you're just like, is who is this? Is, is that who I think it is? And he's kind of doing like this odd slack job thing, almost like um, his character from Skyfall. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird combination like, of a lot of things. Yeah, it's like this kind of weird. It's not really weird, but like his jaw seems slightly offset the wrong way, and he's oh, he has his head tilt, and I'm like, that's that's him, right? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, I didn't fully know that it was him until the second time we see him, which is closer to the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's Harvey, Javier Bardem. Uh, but back to your point about the sign language, uh, that was a really cool thing where it's so subtle, but they they make a really strong point of 
putting that in like just a little off center of the shot that you're you're drawn to looking at the hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's once or twice where they did did a close up of it, but I I really liked um where uh she was interviewing uh Jessica was interviewing uh, somebody to be lady of the house and you just see her hand kind of flick and then they put the the scroll at the bottom of her saying something what it says to the guard. And it's really cool because it, it does just enough to draw you to like why everything's very still except for her hand. And then they do do some hand close up. But I thought that was really well done. And then it just can it continues to carry as a means of communication and understanding between everybody uh, between herself and um, and Paul, at least people within the house. Yeah. Uh, we, I guess we won't spoil the entire movie. The The ending is very Lord of the Rings. I will say that for as much as they put Zendaya in the advertisements, you pretty much see everything she does in the movie in the advertisements. She is not in this movie for very long. Yeah, you don't... The, the ending's sudden. It's a sudden ending. She will feature more heavily in the next in the next movie because uh, Chennai is a very important character. But I was kind of surprised by how much they basically just put almost all her lines and scenes in the trailer. And I was wondering as the movie was going on, I'm like, is this a three hour movie, three and a half hour movie? And then she arrives. I'm like, Nope, Nope. It's, 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 it's like two and a half. <laughs> but one thing I do want to talk about before the, other than, you know, cinematography is beautiful. It's a gorgeous movie. To look at is this is the most Hans Zimmer score I've ever heard in my life. Was it Hans Zimmer that did the score? Yes. Yeah. Lots of bombs. I, yes, it is credited solely to him. The part where I realized it was really him being him to the absolute maximum, so much that I believe it's a par- that he is parodying himself is the chorus. The judge gets stabbed immediately. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Something happens towards the end where Paul makes a decision. Chorus kicks in. I almost feel like he was parodying himself of like, okay, this is a nice quiet moment. I've I've mixed in some like different cultures, some different aesthetics to the music, but jam that latin chorus in there as much as possible <laughs> all right so i'm looking through his imdb and i'm not seeing it here let's let's take a look maybe they just haven't updated it yet uh dune according to my spot 2021 it's, it's it's him composer hans zimmer imdb you're letting me down orchestrated conducted and produced by hans zimmer from beginning had hoped to reunite with zimmer based on their shared passion for the novel there you go with this i think I'm really interested to see the the 1980s David Lynch movie, but at the same time, I really don't want to have to go back to it. Uh, but I, I really want to know like how it compares and what story elements were dropped and added in uh, in particular. But I've seen that YouTube video where they do a side by side comparison, and that that shield effect that they did that is just like that blocky mirror look. It just I immediately went. I'm good. I don't have to watch this. Wait, he did. Wasn't it, it? David Fincher did do the first Dune movie, didn't he? I thought he did. That sounds right. David Lynch. David Lynch. That's right. Oh. David Lynch. Oh, man. We've been saying the wrong thing for a while. You can edit that all in post. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Same no, no, make it really tacky. I don't care. I'll give you one Lynch and just add that every time. Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. I, but this part's staying in so people know what the hell's happening. Oh, damn. <laughs> David, yeah, it's David Lynch. I need to rewatch it. I, it is on HBO Max. Um, I need to rewatch Fincher's 
because uh, I mean Lynch's Lynch's because <laughs> I haven't watched. It's been years. I think maybe five six years. If you thought this one was dense, <laughs> they actually tell the entire book, Oof. <laughs> and they include like some of the houses that they cut out to make this a very much A to B. Like oh, it's the Emperor and and um, Stone Skarsgård against them. There's like a bunch of other stuff in there. It's only two hours and seventeen minutes in that one. Mm-hmm. And this one covers what, like maybe a third of the book, two thirds of the the original novel. It's right about halfway, like it's pretty close to halfway. Um, which is why I get he does one and two. I it, if he does part two, I imagine it'll probably be about twenty thirty minutes longer than this one, just because there is just all this stuff that happens. Um, a bit of time passes by, a bunch of cool stuff happens. It gets really into it gets really into the weirdness of what Paul's experiencing as the one and how he embraces the one um, that Jessica decided for him to be. So, yeah. I'm very interested in it. Not enough to dive into some books because I've got a huge back catalog of other things to get into. Uh, But I really hope that this does get a sequel. Uh, I know as of the time we're recording this, Warner Brothers executives have said, oh, we'd love to do it, but we're not just going to go ahead and green light it. Because partly there's the the whole, what is it, Discovery purchase that's going on right now with Warner Brothers properties and other things that AT&T is dumping. Yeah, Discovery and HBO Max are becoming one thing. Um, Also, I think Legendary Pictures is the one technically financing this, so they'd have to get mutual approval or whatever. And I'm actually kind of surprised. I saw like an article yesterday or the day before that, um, uh, that he said the script isn't quite done for part two yet which i thought i mean if this had come out last year when it was supposed to i thought they'd be already filming but apparently he hasn't finished the script well he he probably would have had he been given the the money that he's been uh that's been postponed and being given to him with the everything delayed forever yeah trademarked by the way so anyone else that wants to use that (laughs) that is three dollars per reference (laughs) everything's delayed forever tm Mm -hmm. well i owe you three bucks now because you said it (laughs) You're an, you're an employee, quote unquote, of the Talking Smack stuff, so you're fine. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so do uh, we do have a rating system with Dune, uh, or with uh, obviously with Dune because we're talking about it, uh, but with the Talking Smack brand, we have must see or pass. So with it, there's no real in between on the internet. It's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. So it's either a must-see or don't bother. With me, I, I've had, I would say my initial thoughts on it would have been a pass, but as I've thought about it more and more over the last 12 plus hours, I would say that it's definitely a must-see. I think the, the cinematography is really cool. The colors didn't really pop for me, but again, that could have been because I wasn't seeing it on a big screen on the theater. I was watching it in my basement. Uh, I mean, I have a 4K HD TV, so... I didn't feel like the the reds and the the grays and of the sand really popped with like the blues and everything. The the colors just didn't look the best to me. But that being said, this movie's probably going to win the Oscar for best cinematography. Uh, but it's definitely a must see. Yeah, to me, it's definitely a must see. I only have you know my memories from childhood and brief rewatches of other stuff to go off of. But it was just enough of the characters and insight. And just streamlining to make me understand, to make me remember 
and also to make me re-love it. I mean, there there is some nitpicky stuff of like, you know, sudden Javier Bardem and sudden Josh Brolin and sudden this character. <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård, of course he's in this. I mean, like, Dave Bautista, he only got, what, like 40 seconds of screen time? But his one long scene with the Baron, I was like, oh, he's actually acting and giving it crap. I haven't seen it, but I heard he, he did really well in his really brief moment in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, he was really good in that, too. Which, I mean, that's Denny Villeneuve as well. So, I mean, he probably just brings the best out of Dave Bautista. I, I just love the cinematography. I love much of the music. Th- their interpretation of the technology from from the books is great and i love just how much it's just like this is a world this is lived in this is the tech don't ask questions like the random floating uh you know the floating orbs that follow them around for them to have daylight in their uh, in their basically their castle they didn't explain how that works it just it's there i think that was fine like as long as you show us how it what it's doing like that's fine uh i think the only thing that really served as like a detriment to me is in this movie was the fact that there there were so many name actors yeah. that it kind of pulls you out of the moment every now and then uh, especially with the Javier Bardem one where again we're having this big conversation and I'm just like old country for old no country for old men gonna be Ricky Ricardo <laughs> yeah that's him and, and I just completely missed a lot of the dialogue from the after the point where uh, they they correct josh brolin's character's assumption that the spitting was disrespectful that that is probably the only detriment um you know when i went into lord of the rings the only actor i was really aware of was um was frodo uh, elijah wood because i had seen north and back to the future 2 and some of the other stuff he's in i'm like oh hey i, I mean you know ian mckellen and uh, them i mean yes but there are enough i mean it's, it's impolite but be basically be level actors that i'm not immediately drawn to the baggage that comes with their characters like jason momoa, like a patrick wilson yes or like jason momoa to me i'm so stuck on his aquaman from the first cut of not of justice league my man then i'm like <laughs> but he worked as duncan idaho the more he was on screen the more he actually emoted and used his natural charisma instead of like his surfer boy charisma I actually was like, okay, he's good. I'm digging. I'm accepting it. Yeah, he did downgrade his catchphrase, though, to my boy. <laughs> Crap. Now I hear that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a must-see. I want, I want part two. If we get part two, maybe we'll get Dune Messiah. Maybe we'll get God Emperor. You know, maybe we'll get the really weird stuff. <laughs> I do wonder how far they plan on taking it, and I wonder how far Denny Villeneuve would be willing to take it. I know that you had mentioned to me previously that he's interested in doing the next Bond movie, which uh, I'm sure they're going to try and get moving pretty quickly on. Yeah, they 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 uh they need to. The Bond movie is its own thing. Enough of that. <laughs> go see go see Dune. By I mean go see is pay this fourteen four uh, the fourteen ninety nine for one month of HBO Max or create a fake email address and watch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah stay safe if if you feel comfortable doing theaters definitely do that actors and directors take from the box office and as we've seen from other things studios will go by the letter of their contract to try and undercut them and make a bigger profit for themselves i am a little sad to see the day and date stuff going away next year because i probably won't be comfortable enough to be doing theatrical viewings for 
at least another 10 months or so until vaccinations for younger kids are available. But I'm not going to get into political things. That's just my point of view. So if you disagree, like, comment, and subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating, and let us know your thoughts. Because that's how you show me who's boss, is leaving five-star ratings. Or, you know, smash that dislike button. Either way. <laughs> I don't know how regular these occurrences are going to be just yet. I'd like to try and start maybe back up doing a bi-weekly kind of thing. Uh, we have Disney Plus Day coming up soon, so we'll, we'll be able to see Shang-Chi yes! and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and I'm very excited for that. And Jungle Cruise is also going to be on there, so maybe we'll double dip and skip the news Ooh. and talk about those. Even though these movies have been out forever, we haven't seen them. They're new to us, and they're interesting to us, and we want to share our thoughts with you. So we're going to go with that, and I think that might be the plan. Um, Disney Plus Day is still about three weeks away at this point, so maybe we'll find something else to fill in on a weird, odd week. But we take we appreciate you taking the time to listen, Alex. I appreciate you taking the time to come and do this. I know today is a very special day for you, so you get the heck out of here. And anyone who's listening, again, like, comment, rate, subscribe, whatever your podcast service of choice is, please leave us a, a rating and a review. And we're also on Twitter. Find us at Talking Smack Pod. I'm at Josh underscore Scar. You can also leave us good reviews on uh, goodpods.com as well as anchor.com. So thanks so much again for listening and take care. Bye, everybody. Roll that theme music. I remembered. Oh, yes. I forgot. <laughs> Roll that theme music. And let me see. What is it? This week we had Hans Zimmer do it. He had a little bit of extra time. <laughs> take care, everyone. <laughs>